Hello and welcome to this Live Empowered series, Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Summerauer. This week, I'll be turning the pages of the book Attached by Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. The book asks the question, are you anxious, avoidant, or secure? It's about the science of adult attachment and how it can help us find and keep love. I have my former therapist to thank for turning me on to this gem of information. Hey, we all miss the mark some days, but learning if you're anxious, avoidant, disorganized, or secure could be a relationship game changer. Find out where you can take the free attachment quiz and listen in on this podcast where empowered people empower people. Well, hello, hello. I I wish I could give out awards for the first person who comes into the show each week. This week, it would be Biagio. Hey, Biagio. Let me turn up my air in here today. Hold on. Um, I just want to thank everybody who's going to see this live and for everybody who's going to see this in the replay. I promise you, do some of the things that you're going to hear about in this show today. If you pay attention and take some notes, there will be information in this show that I, I am... I can pretty much guarantee it's going to bless you in some kind of way. I think you have an opportunity to learn something about yourself and maybe some folks that you are in relationship with or have been in relationship with. So let me go ahead and get started and we will uh, look for other people as they come in. I am Dr. Lisa Summerauer and this is my podcast, Live Empowered. And I designed this podcast because I wanted to be able to inform, educate, encourage, inspire, and hopefully motivate people to experiment with their lives. And I want them to do that. I want you to do that so you can find the different ways that you're able to empower yourself. I think everything that we do, we got to start with ourselves first, right? And for me, empowerment is about giving yourself permission to use your gifts, talents, and skills in a way that will benefit yourself. Yes, benefit yourself. That's That's a good thing. And find ways to use those gifts, talents, and skills to enhance the lives of people around you. Um, people that you care for, that care for you, that you love, that you come in contact with every day. Um, Sometimes I think we forget that these interactions that we have, maybe in the supermarket or when we're on vacation, these one-off encounters that we think, I may never see this person again, we discount them. But that one interaction for that person with you, if you are really um, living your life, feeling empowered about yourself and wanting to leave other people with just good energy, it could be life-changing for the person that you met. So I really want um, people to take advantage of that and experiment with your life. It's, it, you're, you're not going to hurt yourself. Good things can really come from stepping, not so much stepping out of your box, but enlarging your box. If you imagine that you are the vessel and the vessel can be enlarged, then you don't have to worry about your cup overflowing. And if it does, that's just like more good stuff pouring out for the people around you. Now, some days I've, I'll, I will have guests. Many of you have been with me for the last three months, and you know that many of the shows I will have a guest. And other days, it will be me. Um, and always, always, there's an opportunity for a live audience member to be engaged in these conversations where I believe empowered people empower people. So today, I will be uh, looking to our audience members. And for those of you in, uh, in replay who are going to watch this in replay, I love the replay because the replay just goes on and on and on indefinitely. And so it has the ability to touch and bless and be shared by even more people 
than the folks who were able to be here with us live. So hello, I see my mom is on. I see Nadine is on. Biagio is on. So welcome to today's episode where I am going to be going through some of the information in this book um, attached. Clap for me if this is showing up backwards. I bet you it is, right? Is it showing up backwards? Or can you see it right outright? All right, I'm gonna trust, it's attached. If you look down in the little ticker tape at the bottom, you will see two things. You will see the name of this book and the authors, Levine or Levine and Heller, and you will see a, a link to the, um, no, the, a link to www.attachmentproject.com. If you're just getting on and you didn't get a chance to go to that website and take the free attachment quiz, they have a free attachment quiz. You can leave this on the screen here, scroll up, get to another screen and take the quiz as you're listening to me. It just takes a few minutes and it's free. Um, if you if you get a chance to do that, uh, come back and, and you might be able to talk to us a little bit about the show. So this is actually my first episode in a series that I've entitled Divorce is not a destination. Divorce is not a destination. And you'll see that actually at the top of the screen here uh, with my little my little logo. And that this series is all about relationships. I want you, you're, you're gonna hear more about divorce is not a destination as I go through episodes later. But today, just know that it's about all things relationship. It doesn't matter if you're single and maybe you're thinking about getting married at some point. Uh, if you're currently married and you want to have help making it good or making it better than it already is, or if you're like me and you've been divorced once or more than once, it, it was a premise that came about talking to a girlfriend who happens to be a social worker years ago. And we were talking about a situation going on with a client. And um, she said, you know, th there's, there are things going on in her marriage that just aren't good. And, and I don't know if she's safe. And, but she was depressed. The woman was really sad about what was going on and she didn't really know what to do. And somehow I said to her, I said, well, you know, divorce is not a destination. Like none of us walk down the aisle. And I, I'm not going to say 100% because there may be just that one or two people who actually did walk down the aisle thinking, I'm going to give this about six months. But most of us, <laughs> most of us walk down the aisle, whether we did it once or twice or three times, it doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Each time, there's usually this hope that this is going to be it. This is going to work. And so I said to her, divorce is not a destination. It's something that happens uh, to us. It's an experience that we go through, but it's not a place for people to get stuck. So I really want to be um, a proponent for people, an advocate for people who feel stuck, especially those who feel stuck after being divorced. And they feel less than, whether it's because of their religious beliefs or their traditions or friends or family or just something that's internal that is telling them something must be terribly wrong with me because I can't, my marriage didn't last or I can't seem to stay married. These are all life experiences. They're all life experiences. Years ago, shortly after one of my divorces, I had a really good friend of my parents come to visit who happened to be a minister and he came to visit me in, in my home. And we were just talking about things and I was telling him how difficult it is some nights that I wake up at these strange times. I used to wake up at 11.11 or 1.11. Somebody, Kath is going to tell me what those numbers are. I know. Um, and I used to wake up at these odd times and and just feeling bad. And I was I was criticizing and complaining about what was going on with me and how I was feeling. And he said, wait a minute, time out. He said, people put... Uh, we, we rate things like this is extra bad. This is really, really, really bad. This is kind of a little bad. 
He said, that is not what God is doing, doing to us. We're doing that to ourselves. We're beating ourselves up. He said, just look at this thing that we live called life as these opportunities to have all of these experiences and figure out how we can learn from them. And it, it changed the way I thought about things. And now um, I have a girlfriend of mine, Dr. Gail, who says, oh, Dr. Lisa does not do guilt because I just, I don't want to be beat up by someone because of my life. And I really don't want to beat myself up because of things that have happened in my life. So I want to take my experiences, the good, the bad, the whatever, and be able to share them on this podcast and hopefully help other people lift that weight uh, and that burden of, of shame or guilt or whatever it is you're experiencing. Lift it so that you can find your gifts, your talents, and your skills and acknowledge them and be able to share those with the world. I got a, a book yesterday in the mail. I got home late and I'm so excited that I have this book. I could not wait to start reading it. So, Kath, thank you. Um, it's called Lost and Found by Carol Delasky. And already I, I had to stop at this page because I got to this one line and I said, this is what I'm going to do at the beginning of the show today. She said, I now recognize that caring for myself is God's will. You, you can write that down. I'm going to give you a minute. I'll repeat it again. I should have put that in the little ticker tape at the bottom. I now realize that caring for myself is God's will because very often we put ourselves second or third, or we don't even put ourselves on the list. And you hear a lot of people talking about self-care is so important. And you got to make sure, you know, the story about the, you get, I fly a lot. So when you're on the plane, who do you put the oxygen mask on first yourself? They tell you even before your child, put it on yourself, because if you pass out before you get to your kid, no one, who's going to help. And I've, I've heard that analogy for years. It's one of those things that we hear and we may some somewhere inside of us, we know it. The challenges are we living into it. And it doesn't mean neglecting everybody else in your life. It just means if you take care of yourself and you learn to appreciate and love you, it's going to be so much easier for you to appreciate and love other people. So that's that's where where that comes from. So today's book is attached by Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. And they asked the question, are you anxious, avoidant, or secure? Anxious, avoidant, or secure? Now, I'm going to be referring to this book a lot. If you, you see all the tabs in this book, this book is no joke. This is my bedside friend. And I did actually get this from a therapist I had been going to. Um, and he says, I give this to all the single women that I, I don't know why he just gives it to the single women. Because single men, married men, married women, I think everybody could benefit from reading this book. But yes, especially if you're single, especially if you're single and you do want to be in a relationship. And we're going to talk a little bit about this whole thing about being in a relationship, you know, where that falls in. So some of you were able to take the quiz. I should have sent the quiz link out a little bit earlier this week or a couple of days ago. But look, if you click the link where it says attachmentproject.com in this bottom thing, if you click that, it will open up another screen. You should still be able to hear what's going on here on the show. And you can real quick go take the quiz. It's free. It only takes you a few minutes and you'll get your results. And you might want to have a conversation or share your results later in the show. So if you actually click right on that link, it'll, it's a live link. So this question about are you anxious, avoidant, or secure? Um, wow. I put a fourth one in here called disorganized and I got that from the attachment project from that link because I've seen these four. I have taken the um, assessment four different times. I took it once in my therapist office. I came home that day and took another one that was online. 
Then I bought this book and I took the one that's in the book. And then I did the one on the attachment project. All four times they came out the same thing. And I'll tell you that later in the show. So let's talk about some of the things that, that are in this book. And I'm going to try to go through this in an organized way. You saw all the tabs, right? I'm going to go through this in an organized way. But I think first I should start with, um, with these attachment styles and um, sort of where they came from. Um, and, and then we're going to talk about dependency. Like, is dependency good or bad? Because I think many of us have different takes on what it means to be dependent or being codependent or being too dependent on another human being. So the attachment principles teach us that uh, many people, when you talk about being needy, people are only as needy as their unmet needs. And these attachment, uh, these concepts of attachment actually came about as uh, researchers were working with children. And I'll tell you one of the examples that I, I read and it was about a child being brought into the room by their caregiver, let's just say their mom. And they were in a room in a place that they had never been and people they didn't know, but the child is sitting there playing with the toy and mom is right there so the kid is fine. And then they sneak the mom out of the room. And when the child realizes that mom is gone, the child just kind of starts freaking out, right? And, and, and it, to different degrees to different children, depending on their attachment style. When they brought mom back in the room, the baby calmed down again. And some of the babies went back to playing with their, with their things. Some of them were a little more agitated. Some of them didn't have much of a response either way about mom leaving or not. Right? So one of the things, let me see here. I want to, I want to read the attachment styles to you so that you can get a sense of what they are. And I'm going to pull from two places because I like the attachment project has a really good setup and it's a little bit easier to read. So I'm going to kind of be reading from the screen on this. So I'm going to start with anxious attachment and then I'll go to avoidance, what they call disorganized. And then I'm going to go to secure. And um, if anyone here has taken the assessment, I am definitely going to be asking you some questions, but some of you are going to recognize yourself and maybe some other people as I'm reading this. So let me give you a little background attachment theory. It's, uh, it's pretty easy to, to grasp. They do go back to childhood and they say the first social bonds that a child encounters is with their caregivers, obviously mostly their parents. And the child's brain starts to form a perception about what social interactions should be like and, and what that experience is like. So if a child is brought into a warm, nurturing environment um, where their caregivers are responsive and the child's emotional needs are being met, then there's a secure bond that gets formed. If the child is taught indirectly that his emotions um, and needs are not going to be recognized, um, then the child doesn't have an ability or doesn't form this secure bond. And so it falls into one of those insecure attachments. So that would be anxious, avoidance, or disorganized, and which is sometimes called, um, I believe, fearful avoidance, right? And so those three types of insecure, again, anxious, avoidance, and disorganized. So let's look at anxious and I'm going to read this to you and see if any of this sounds like you. This is symptoms of having an anxious attachment style if you're an adult. Um, adults with anxious uh, preoccupied attachment might think very uh, highly of others but often suffer from low self-esteem. They are sensitive, they're attuned to their partner's needs but they often are insecure and anxious about their worth in the relationship, right? So they have they may have really good perception skills and pick up on things, but it triggers this insecurity. Um, the loved one rejects them or fails to respond. If they get rejected, they blame themselves. 
or they will say um, that they're not worthy of being loved. And generally adults with attachment, uh, anxious attachment, they need consistent reassurance that they are loved and worthy and that they're good enough. So if that's ever been you, or you have been with someone who needed that, it's, it's possible that they were in this category of anxious attachment style. Um, they fear being abandoned um, and might often cause anxious adults to be, they could be intensely, intensely jealous and suspicious people when you're in a relationship with someone with anxious attachment. Um, the fear could also lead to them becoming desperate and clingy. So, you know, I always joke that I, I watch Friday night, 48 hours, 2020, uh, some of these shows where you have these tragedies uh, with these relationships and these these really bad experiences, um, this could have been you know someone with this style. And I am not a therapist or a doctor, so if you have Coach Lisa here reading this and giving you some of her thoughts on this. Um, these people seek intimacy, uh, they want closeness, but they're highly emotional in their dependency on other people. And the presence of a loved one appears to be the thing that resolves everything. Like if they can have this really strong emotional bond everything seems to be resolved. Um, it can be exhausting being with someone like this, uh, especially if you don't recognize what it is. And if you're not a secure attachment style and you have the ability to help them kind of relax into the relationship and get them a, a way to feel safe um, because it can cause a lot of anxiety and stress and unhappiness, um, low life satisfaction with this. They fear being alone and rejected um, but they crave wanting to be with someone and having a really, really strong attachment. So I want you to clap or give me something down there. If when I read this, you thought this sounds like somebody I know, or this sounds like me, or I have a little bit of this that I, I re remember. Maybe when you were younger, you had some of this attachment style uh, going on where you were kind of that anxious person in the relationship. We don't have any, any anxious attachment styles here. Maybe you just haven't identified yourself yet. So the next one I want to go to is what, what they call avoidant attachment. Now, avoidant attachment. Wow. Avoiding attachment is another one of the insecure attachment styles. And here are some of the symptoms or some of the things, the traits that you can look at. They also call this dismissive. So it could be dismissive avoidant attachment. Um, they seem to be happy with who they are. They're, they're pretty confident. Um, they can be easygoing and even fun to be around. And they tend to be pretty independent people. So you don't see the anxiety necessarily with an avoidant person, a style that you might see with the anxious. But let's talk about how they might behave in a relationship. Um, their social interactions or bonds are going to remain on the surface. So you may think, oh my gosh, this girl, this guy, this woman... They're just fantastic people. I really love them. I can't wait to get to know them on a deeper level. With an avoidant uh, attachment style, it's usually going to stay pretty surface and it may take you a while to learn that you really don't know a lot about this person on that deeper level. In order for a relationship to be meaningful and fulfilling for them, for, for anyone, for most of us, it needs to be deep. And with someone with this avoidant style, that's not what their, what their goal is because it's not comfortable for them. They will let you be around them, but you will not get in. Does that make sense? So you're, you're in close proximity, but you're not going to get in. You're not going to be able to dig deep. And they tend to avoid um, strong displays of intimacy or closeness. So even in sex, 
they may have sex and it may be gratifying, but they're not making an emotional connection. They're not having a really deep interaction emotionally, even when it's sex. They say uh, avoidance may tend to have uh, some type of some obsessive that maybe it's a compulsion, maybe it's a sexual addiction. That is something something you might see with avoidance um, of that personality because they can get that gratification without the emotional connection. Uh, when things do get serious, the, the dismissive or avoidant style, they're likely to close themselves off. So this is a person that could just shut down. If you're if they feel that your closeness registers as press, pressure or controlling or any of the things, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. It's about how they are impacted, how they're receiving it. And if they receive it that way, it could cause them to shut down. So um, they may get to a point because of that, that they just try to end the relationship. And it may be um, that they get really annoyed by their partner's behavior. And I'm, I'm actually reading this off of the off of the attachment project. They may get really annoyed with their partner's behaviors or habits or even their physical appearance. All of a sudden, they don't like all the things that they liked before because they're trying to create that distance. They start drifting off and distancing themselves from the partner. So maybe they're working late. Maybe they're at church all the time. Maybe all of a sudden one of their dear friends needs way more support from them than they ever have before. And adults with this attachment style believe that they don't need emotional intimacy in their lives. Now they do because we all do, um, but they believe that they don't. And that's how it, it makes it a little easier for them to, to behave this way. And a lot of this is a direct result of their upbringing. So their caregiver uh, showed them that people can't be relied on. And so that has carried over into adulthood that when they start getting too close, there's this sense of, well, I know I'm not going to be able to rely on this person. So I have to safeguard myself. Right. So whenever they've sought that emotional support in the past, it wasn't provided and they simply stop looking for it. So they don't expect it from others. It's almost like uh, they have here that it's almost like they have a turn off switch. They can just click. Right. Um, from the outside, this person may look confident and strong, like I said, and really put together. It doesn't mean that the person isn't suffering. So we can sometimes think that if someone has what we think is an on-off switch, where they can just be like, I'm done with you, that they're just cold-hearted and they don't feel anything. That may not necessarily be the case. It may be that they don't understand what's going on with them and they really don't know how to deal with that emotional part of who they are. And so they just don't deal with it. That doesn't make it easy for the person on the other end to receive it, but it's, it's what happens. Um, having an avoidant attachment style as a parent, because this is really important. If you have children, this is really, really important to pay attention to these attachment styles because very often your child will pick up the one that they see. You can, you can sort of create the environment of what your child's attachment style is going to be. So it says a parent is likely to affect your child's attachment style. If you have it, you'll probably pass it on. So if you have a parent who is an avoidant, it's very likely they're going to raise a child who is an avoidant. Does that make sense? And then the third insecure is the disorganized attachment. So let me just go through that. And then I'm going to see if there are any questions. If you have any questions, the little circle in the lower left of your screen, if you click those two bars, um, you can ask to be invited up on stage or invited to speak. So if you do speak, we can hear you and we won't see you. If you want to be invited for video, I can invite you so you can be on screen. So don't worry. If you want to speak, you're not going to all of a sudden, all of a sudden be on camera. Um, let me see here. So I want to give you some of the disorganized. This 
style is believed to be a consequence of childhood trauma or abuse, trauma or abuse. Perceived fear is the central aspect of, of the development. So there's a lot of fear involved in this uh, disorganized attachment style. Um, the survival of the infant depends on caregivers, obviously, but the child knows subconsciously um, she seeks safety in their caregivers. The problem arises when the source of safety also becomes the source of fear. Now, I had an older gentleman explain this to me like this. He was talking about his relationship with his mom. And he said, I know what that's like because I went through therapy as well. And this is what surfaced for him. He said, my mother would put me on a pedestal and then she would also be the one to chop the legs out from under me. So the parent or the caregiver becomes the source of safety and also the source of fear. So you could see how that could create that fearful or disorganized kind of attachment. The caregiver shows high contrasting behavior, which is inconsistent and unpredictable. And this child can start fearing his or own safety because the kid doesn't know what to expect. Now, some of us have probably clap, raise your hand, put a something up. If you've been in a relationship with someone like this, that you just did not know what was coming next. You didn't know when you came home, if it was going to be smiles and cotton candy or the wrath of Hades coming at you when you came or just complete silence. I see, I hear somebody's Biagio's clapping. It could be complete silence. So it may not even be all of this anger and all of that, but it's still this passive aggressive kind of behavior that lends itself toward this disorganized um, style of, of attachment. And it said children with a disorganized attachment style, they're not able to truly adapt to the caregiver's behavior um, because they don't know what's coming. So imagine that being the reality as a child and you carry that emotional uh, uh, baggage into your teens and your adulthood, what is that going to look like in a relationship if you've now taken on this disorganized attachment style? So I have to tell you, when I read this book, I was really going through something. And reading this book and a couple other ones that I read really helped me get clarity and heal uh, in a way that it helped me grow because I had to look at what I had just gone through and what I had experienced from the context of these attachment styles. And I could look at my life and I could look at my, my ex-partner's life and say, oh my God, this makes totally good sense. I mean, it's, it's really well drawn out. So I highly recommend if you want to gift someone, um, you have a 20 something, um, maybe even a teenager, but if you have a friend who's been going through some things, they're single, I highly recommend this book and I highly recommend directing them to the attachment project, attachmentproject.com, um, because they can take the, uh, the quiz really quickly there. But if you get the book, like I said, it's, there's not only a quiz for you in the book, you can take a quiz for the person you're dating, the person you're involved with, your spouse, whomever it is. There's one for the other person that you can fill out to get an idea of where they are. So that's one of the things that made this book really powerful. So let me get back to my notes here. I wanted to talk about the, the whole thing of being dependent. Um, and I wanted to talk about that because I grew up and I know my mom is on here. So I'm going to, I'm sharing some Jackie isms. My mom used to say, you're not a circus clown and you're not a circus clown means it's not your job, your responsibility, your role in life to make somebody be happy, right? Because sometimes people want to test you over and over again, or they, they, they have to, it's, it's sort of like dealing with somebody with that anxious uh, uh, attachment style. 
They always need someone to prove that they love that you love them. And so you're constantly finding ways to do. Now, if you are anxious, you may just do that. You may, you may do that to someone trying to ingratiate them. You're trying to show them all the time, the different ways that you love them. And it's not coming from a place of, I have it to give and it feels good to do it. It's coming from a place of desperation. Like I have to do this to keep you. Uh, that doesn't even feel good. Right? So the, you're not a circus clown. It's another one that stuck with me. One day I want to write a book about all this stuff. So I have a question for you. Is dependency good or bad? I want you to clap if you think dependency is good. Being dependent on another person is good. And I want you to do, I don't know, a laugh face if you think dependency is, is, is not good, that you shouldn't be dependent on someone else. <laughs> don't be dependent on another one. Okay, so this is interesting. This is going to get good. Hold on, let me get to my page numbers. We got a lot of laughing going on here. So... Attachment principles teach us that most people are only as needy as their unmet needs. Um, the more effectively dependent people are on one another, the more independent and daring they become. Uh, so let me read that again. The, there's a thing called a dependency paradox, dependency paradox. And it says the more effectively dependent people are on one another, the more independent and daring they become. So some of you may be questioning your answers there, but let me, let me read a little bit more for you. So if you are dependent on someone, what does that actually mean? It says when our emotional needs are met, we can turn our attention to something else. When our emotional needs are met, we can turn our attention to something else. So think about being really, really hungry. Think about being so hungry, you cannot think about anything else. You can't concentrate on work. You can't focus on the movie you're watching with your day, nothing. You're just starving. And once that need gets fixed, addressed, and you're no longer hungry, you can relax and calm down and, and get back to focusing on whatever it is that you really wanted to be doing at that time. And so you need to have that need met in order for it not to be the only thing on your mind. I hope this is, this is making sense. And when you think about this in terms of a relationship, um, this whole thing on, on dependency or, or the codependency takes on a whole different, a whole different meaning, a whole different, you take a whole different perspective on this. So let me tell you what this is. Knowing that you have a dependable support person. So knowing that there's somebody there in your life that can be dependent upon, that's going to give you the support that you know you need, it creates this effective support system. And I look at it like it activates these superpowers. It activates these superpowers. So it says your happiness is something that should come from within and should not be dependent on your lover or mate. Your well-being is not their responsibility and theirs is not yours. So those, that's for the clappers. It said the basic premise of this, what's underlying this point of view is that an ideal relationship is two self-sufficient, independent people who unite in this mature, uh, respectful way while maintaining these clear boundaries, right? Does that sound about right? For the, folk, for the folks who um, laugh, does that sound about right? So the worst possible scenario for that is that you'll end up needing your partner. Woo, this one was like smack smack because i've heard things like 
I want to desire someone and not need them because there, I think even for me, there was this fear. Well, I don't want to have to, I don't want to need this person to the point where I'm like uh, an anchor around their neck, right? The teachings of codependency remain immensely helpful in dealing with family members who suffer from substance abuse. But let's talk, let me tell you about this. So what would you think if I said that biologically, all of what I just said about dependency is hogwash? that we, we should be self-sufficient, independent people who don't need anybody else. So I'm going to tell you what happens to us biologically. And some of you women, I, I have wrote something else down to talk about this with women. Numerous studies show that once we become attached to someone, the two form a physiological unit. Now, this is science talking about the biology of being in a relationship. It says a person's partner can regulate their blood pressure, their heart rate, their breathing, and the levels of hormones in their blood. So we're no longer operating as two separate entities. The emphasis on this differentiation that is held by most of today's popular psychology approaches, it doesn't hold any water when you look at this from a biological perspective because research is showing that all of these things can be regulated because of your relationship with your partner. So it says dependency is actually a fact. It's not a choice or a preference. I'm going to let that sit for a minute. Anybody want to comment on that? Did you have an aha moment just now? Are you like, what? I believe in this. So how do we maintain these high level of differentiation uh, between ourselves and our partners if, in fact, biologically, we're influenced by them to this degree? How do we do that? So this is the thing that's called the dependency paradox, the dependency paradox. I, I like the way that sounds. So this, this thing called the dependency paradox says, um, well, before brain imaging technology was developed, this uh, John Bowdley is his name, Balby, understood the, that there was a need for someone to share our lives with. It's part of our genetic makeup. So he discovered that once we choose someone special, I'm going to say that again, once we choose someone special, and I know Biagio has this, Kath has this, um, powerful and often uncontrollable forces come into play. New patterns of behavior can kick in regardless of how independent we were. And despite our own conscious will to stay independent, once you really find that powerful relationship, this is when that, that, that dynamic shifts and things start changing. It said, paradoxically, what happens is this. Um, well, let me start here. So in order to be happy, does this mean that the relationship we need to be joined with our partner at the hip? And I think this might be the fear uh, for some people when they say, well, I don't want to be that dependent on somebody. I want to be my own woman, right? Uh, I, men have a commitment fear. Well, I don't want to feel like I'm being locked down. People don't want to feel like they're joined at the hip um, so that they have different aspects and different parts of their lives, like their careers and their friends. So you, you still have those things. It said, here's the, the turn. Here's the trick. It turns out that our ability to step into the world on our own um, often stems from the knowledge that we have someone else beside us who we can count on. And this is the dependency paradox. So imagine this. Think of some two people that you look at as a power couple. You, you know, they're both, they're both happy. They're both people who just bring a joy. They both are empowered. They're living their lives fully empowered and they come together. When you have this 
really powerful, really good, healthy connection, and you know there's someone there for you, they don't have to be physically right with you all the time. They don't have to be joined at your hip. They're not following you around. You know, it's not a stalker relationship. But when you actually have that kind of a solid relationship, it actually allows you to be more independent. So think about it. Think about when you've been in really good, healthy relationships. Think about some of your friends. Maybe take this out of the context of a romantic relationship altogether. Think about the friends in your life that empower you. Hold on. That encourage you where you get this unconditional support. And how much stronger and more capable do you feel when you're just in communication with them? You don't even have to be physically in their presence, but knowing that you have that kind of support system. So one of my, my doctorate, I studied mentoring and in that mentoring component, you can see some of this where knowing that you have a support system, a mentoring group or an individual that you look to as a mentor provides the, the security and the positivity and the support for you to go and do amazing things. And that's what this dependency paradox is saying that the more effectively dependent people are on one another. And that the key here is effectively dependent. It's not this negative codependency, like as they mentioned with any kind of an addiction where I'm enabling someone to do poorly or to do something that's not life enhancing. Um, the more effectively dependent people are on one another, the more independent and daring they become. And I, I, tr- I wrote a note for myself that I, I think this is how power couples become power couples. So I want to give you, let's see here. I want to give you some information on like finding, finding that person, right? What does that look like? And, and a secure base, secure things for, for grownups, all of this, all of this good stuff. So talking about, talking about what happens when you have this connection. So finding this right person to depend on, how could this benefit you? One of the other studies that I read about was uh, a study that they did at the University of Toronto, and they put women in this chamber. (laughs) And in order to elicit a stress response, they told the women that they were going to shock them. They were going to give them some sort of an electrical shock. And what this does is it triggers uh, the the hormones in your body. Uh, Let me see here if I can get my medical people. Hemiostasis, right? So that's if everything is calm. And then the other one is, I'll find it in a minute. So, so they did this with, with different groups of women, different, different, three different things. They had a group come in, no one held their hand. They were in there by themselves. And then they told them that they were going to get an electric shock and they watched their stress levels go up. They said they just, it just lit up. Then they had a group and they had strangers hold the woman's hand. When they put them in the chamber, you got somebody outside holding your hand. And then they told them, okay, we're going to administer this electrical shock. And the hormone, the stress hormone went up, but not as high as when there was no one holding the hand. The third group was their husbands holding their hand. And that was the lowest one out of all of the groups. So it, the, the research, the reason they did this is they wanted to see what impact does a relationship have on stress? So in another study, they talked about people had, who had mild mildly high blood pressure. And I actually, I thought that was kind of like high blood pressure is high blood pressure, but this is how they wrote it. It's mildly high blood pressure. 
And they said for them, being in a happy marriage actually lowered their blood pressure. It lowered their blood pressure. So I want to I want to open up the lines. Does anyone have a comment, a thought, a reaction to this? Have you had an aha moment at this point? Um, just from what we've covered so far. Yeah. So yeah, I took my test, and um, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting test. I mean, this message is brought to you by the Get Ready to Work Workbook providing everything you need to know before your next interview, especially if your next interview is your first interview. The Get Ready to Work workbook is for you if you need help preparing for job interviews. It's a book and a workbook in one that combines education and information gathering. You'll be more confident and have the tools to be more prepared for your next interview. The Get Ready to Work workbook is available on Amazon.com. Get your copy today. Now, back to today's show. You don't have to think a lot, but you do have to think a little, especially mm -hmm. when you go back to childhood. Yeah, how you felt when you how you felt about your parents, and mm -hmm. how you know you responded to them and them to you, and what you thought, just what you thought about your upbringing. So that part was interesting because for me, um, you know, our mom was a disciplinarian in the family, and our dad was the one that was always making us laugh and, you know, and all that. But I think the fact that um, we had both parents there, and for me, I never felt that they would abandon me, mm -hmm. um, although their, their parenting styles were different. But I knew in their own way, they loved us and um, they were there for support. So I think that played a large part for me because my outcome was secure. Mm -hmm. And so I think I, I've taken some of that over into adulthood yeah. um, and all of us have our moments, you know, when, when we're not as secure and, you know, that kind of thing. But for the most part, I think I took that feeling that my parents were always going to be there come hell or high water. Um, and, and that has affected me as an adult to be a more secure adult in my relationships. I think also I, uh, that was manifested in my marriage mm. um, because I felt that I had a really good marriage yeah, maybe not the first one, but <laughs> <laughs> divorce Sorry. is not a destination, right? <laughs> but certainly, <laughs> certainly, the second one was very secure. Um, you know, and and you know, we had the same kind of issues that other married people have, but it wasn't something that we didn't work through and continue to have a very a very good marriage. So it's an interesting test and it only took about five minutes or so. Yeah. So yeah, I think, it it, I think it is. I think it's like five minutes, maybe seven minutes. Right. And it's right. Inter so you talked about, um, you know, second marriage being more secure. Um, if you were to think about your, both of those marriages, how would you peg both of them in terms of where you think they might be on this as far as anxious avoidance, secure or, um, disorganized? I think, um, well, I, I, you know, I hate to even count the first one in terms of because we were both young. We were both teenagers. We weren't even mature mature yet. Um, I think, I don't know. I don't know how I would put uh, my first husband in there. Um, maybe disorganized. <laughs> was, and, yeah, I was thinking, I was, yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, yeah. I have to give you the book so you can do the book to, just to see because I, I think there's something interesting and being able to do this, especially the one in the book, because the one in the right. book lets you take one for your partner or ex-partner or whomever the other person is, 
And, right. and they give you a really interesting series of questions to get to, uh, I can share some of them with you, um, to help you go, oh, because one of the things for me was to, you know, you can do this for a couple of X's if you want and see, do I have a pattern of picking this particular type of person? Or does this particular person type of person pick me? And so the book tells you to listen, look for what he or she is not saying or doing. Um, and then they give you, a, 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 it's a battery of questions in the book. Let me see if right. I can, I can tell you some of the questions. Um, has a rigid view of relationships and uncompromising rules. Now you're going to rate these one, two, or three for each, mm -hmm. each question for that person. And depending on the total number that you end up with, it will give you the, uh, are they avoidant? Are they secure? Are they anxious? Now the book only deals with three avoidant, anxious, or secure. The book originally was published in 2010 and then they did it again in 2019, but the mm -hmm. attachment project and other ones that I've seen give you that fourth one. And they're either called, I've seen them called disorganized. I've seen them called fearful and I've seen them called, um, like despondent, um, or almost detached. I think something like that. So what you, husband number two, Perry, um, yeah. would you say secure? I think when we met, he was more insecure. So maybe anxious? Um, yeah, I think he was more anxious when we met. And he even verbalized that, um, you know, he, he had had a bad first marriage, a bad breakup. It was not pleasant mm. at all. Um, so I think he was anxious about getting into another relationship. And so, um, I, yeah, so when we look at, let me, let me read anxious, because I want people to understand it's not about having high anxiety just in general. It's this no. anxiousness in the relationship where they need constant oh. approval. Right. Um, they, yeah. and, and it may have been some of that because he was yeah. like, you had to give some him constant. Yeah. Yep. So, so one of the, when you look at the scores here and it says um, your partner um, has an attached, anxious attachment style. And it says someone with an anxious attachment style craves intimacy, but is also very sensitive to even the smallest perceived threats to this closeness. Sometimes they'll interpret your unconscious actions as a threat to the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now, he had, he had some of that because, you know, during his marriage, that was always a threat that she mm. was going to leave. She was going to leave. She was right. going to leave okay. when things got bad. But I think, um, I don't know what part of my brain I, you know, he was just a great guy and just to make him feel comfortable that I wasn't going to leave. Right as my parents made us feel comfortable that they weren't going to leave mm -hmm. and um things you know, things kind of uh, kind of worked out kind of worked out so so this, this is good because um they do talk about the ability to people of people to change their style right yeah. now when i took this the first time i was actually in my therapist's office and when i when he did the results and turned around he kind of had this look on his face like i said what happened he said I thought you were going to come up anxious and it came up secure. I came home that day and I thought, well, maybe something. So I took a different one online and it came up secure. Then I got the book and I took it again and it came up secure. Then I learned about attachment project and I took it again and it still came up secure. So I'm pretty comfortable that I'm secure. But my therapist <laughs> did plant this little seed. So this is what I realized. I can be triggered to pick up, to, to go into anxious depending yeah. on who I'm with or the moment. Right. So, so I think there, there may be, you know, th there's like this residue of anxious, but yeah. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in my, in my secure thing. 
even though I can bend toward anxious, if I feel like um, someone's not being honest, if I yeah. feel like, you know, I don't feel secure in this particular relationship. It was interesting on the attachment project when it got into the family stuff. I was like, easy, easy, easy. No, 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 no. Never felt that. And I, this is my mother, people. So it's a good thing that I didn't <laughs> feel that because she'd be finding out now that I felt like you were always going to leave me and you were never there for me. And I was emotionally distraught. I did have ulcers at 15, but that was because I used to worry for people right, and about right. people. But I honestly don't ever remember thinking, I think there were so many people around. I grew up in a house with my aunts, my grandparents before my mom remarried. So I had a, a family system that was gigantic. So even if one person was having a bad day, I had like seven other people in the house I could go to. It's like, yeah, you wanted yeah. to try to be alone sometimes in our house. Good luck with that. Um, and so I, I, it was pretty secure, but I think uh, as re different relationships from my teens and through college and, and getting older, I think I've had residual res residue from relationships that created some of that anxiety. And I had to grow myself through that. I had to grow myself up out of that and understand like who I am and what I bring to the table and know that uh, I don't think I ever like blame myself for a lot of stuff. That's kind of typical for anxious attachment. If something's wrong, it's like, what did I do? What did I do? Because my mom always told me I'm not a circus clown. So I was like, if you're not happy, it's not me. Because <laughs> it's not my job to make you be happy. But I do feel like it's part of your role in a relationship to do things that are going to be appealing uh, and pleasing and enhancing to your relationship. And I can say, you know, with you and, and Perry, we got to see that. And yeah, it wasn't perfect. We got to see everything. I had another... Right therapist one time was shocked that the person I was in there with had never seen their parents argue. And she was yeah, like, that's scary. she's like, you've never seen your parents argue. And he's like, Nope, they, they wouldn't argue in front of us. And she said, okay, I get the, the premise behind that thinking, Oh, well, they're not going to see the bad part. She said, but that also means you never saw them make up. Yeah. So you don't know what that looks like. And it doesn't mean they got to throw pots and pans around the kitchen and call each other out their name. It just means you know that they're not happy with each other right now. And then you see how they work through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so that was, I, I read another thing on anxious. I want to read this one on avoid it because this is talking about what some of the behaviors might look like with avoidance, everyday interactions and conversations, whether they're about which channel to watch on TV or how to raise the kids, they're actually negotiations for space and independence. Like, you think you're having just a regular walk in the park conversation. And then the next thing you know, you're in a tug of war and you, you never even saw the rope come out and, and, and you have to catch yourself not to go down the slippery slope when you're with someone who's an avoidant. Right. And then for secure, the, the one of the things that's so wonderful that makes the secure attachment style work is that they stay pretty grounded and they are great communicators. They're great communicators. So with, with the, all three of the insecure attachment styles, so that's the disorganized, the avoidant, the anxious. One of the things that seems to be a trait of all of them is they use tactics rather than talking. They have tactics rather than talking. This is where you're going to see passive aggressive behavior come in. They're not going to tell you they're upset about something and tell you what you did so you can have a conversation. They may retaliate with, uh, say you didn't call to say you were coming home. And then the next night, um, you're, you, you try to call and they just won't answer the phone. 
They're just, I'll show you. You didn't want to call last night when you call tomorrow. I'm just not going to answer the. So you, you get that kind of behavior. And we, we can all say we've probably been there. <laughs> we've right, probably right. done some retaliatory um, yeah. things thinking we're getting someone's attention, but that kind of tips us over into those insecure because one of the, one of the marks of a secure relationship is two people who are able to disagree and have a conversation about it. Two people who one of them is having a problem with what something was done by the other person or said, and they're able to share, let me talk to you about how that made me feel. Let me tell you about what I was thinking. And the other person can receive that without making it about being a personal attack. And, and one of the things for me that's kind of a trigger is like, don't tell me to calm down. I'm an emotional person. I come from a black family. We get excited. If all my aunts were on here right now, you wouldn't even be able to hear me. And that would be like good conversation. So, you know, you also have to take into consideration, this is why it's so good to meet your folks, meet this, meet their family. When you going to go meet their parents and see their siblings and see how they interact with folks, because that'll tell you a whole lot about people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you tell somebody to calm down when they're trying to share with you, sometimes you just need to sit in that. They're not, you know, being abrasive there. Maybe it's a, a it's a tone you're not used to. Maybe the volume goes up a little bit because they're just like, blah, blah, blah. Just sit with that for a minute. Like if you know you're okay, let them get that out. Don't try to don't try to dampen that for them because it's almost like somebody saying, "Shh, I only want to hear you the way it's comfortable oh, yeah. for me to hear you." And that'll work. Yeah, that works well all the time. Just try that right. with your spouse tonight. The next time they're right. telling you something, you know, shh. Right. <laughs> I need you to say it like I would say it to me if I was you, if you was me. Oh, That's what I right. Need. And no. I was feeling that. If I was feeling what you're feeling, this is how I'd say it. Okay, boo, right. this is not you. Um, and so we, we, you know, we can we can learn to kind of sit with that and let them get it out first, and then take a pause and go. I just want to make sure you're you're okay. I want to respond, but are you good? Can I can I say something now? Because this communication thing, you know what? My mom told me forever years ago. How many years? How how many years old was I when I heard most relationships fall apart because of communication? Right. Day to day, and, and, day to day. Yep. And and it, and she said, it's usually not the big things that break each other up. It's the day to day stuff. Like day to day. People have an affair. Someone has an affair and people are like, oh, I would never take care. Well, it's something like 70 percent, 80 some percent of people, women especially, don't leave relationships because their partner has an affair. Right. It's pretty darn high. Yeah. But if you can have a conversation about it and get to the root of what caused this person to do this, why did they feel like this was something they needed? And they obviously think they needed it because they did it. Um, what was the cause of that? You can come back and rebuild, right? But it's the stuff that happens every day that you don't talk about. Like I have a make the bed, please make the bed for the love of God, for the love of all things and the Clean heavens up above. after yourself. Yeah. Make the bed. Now I was raised in a house with a nurse. 45 degree bed corner angles. Uh, My dad who raised me was in the Marine Corps, military beds. So I at one point learned to make the bed before my feet hit the ground. It was just a game I played. Like I could pull up all the sheets and the blankets and get the pillows fluffed (laughs) and still be on the bed. Try it. It's a really amazing thing to try to do. Somebody's going to try this. Biagio, tell your daughter to try this. Yeah. and, and so little things like that. And so you need to know what your triggers are. But what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm learning is in these healthy relationships, those are the little things the other person does because they know they mean something to you, right? 
So I may not give a hoot about how you roll the toothpaste tube up. Okay, I kind of do, but this is just suppose I didn't. Um, about how you roll the toothpaste tube, but if I'm with someone and I know that they want that tube rolled up nice and tight and the cap on and want me to wipe the sink off, even if I'm like, well, who's going to see the sink? It's up to wipe the sink off. These are the little things that I think become really big annoyances and they start the, the breakdown of communication because someone just says, you know what? I don't even care anymore. I'm not saying anything because they don't care about me because they don't put the cap on the toothpaste. <laughs> so once that seed gets planted in your head, if you are anxious, now it's about, they don't love me. They don't care about me. My, my feelings aren't important. If you are, uh, what's the other one? Disorganized, you're fearful and avoidant already. This just puts one more little feather in your cap of all the reasons I don't like you and this is not gonna work and I'm gonna bounce and be out of here. I don't know when, but I'm going to. That's a avoidant. They're just looking think, for, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say, and once those things start to happen, our brain starts to find other, find other things that were there all the time, but now our brain yes. is focused in on what we don't like about that person. Yes. So now yes. you don't like the way he walks. You don't like just things that really wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. right. um, and we, our brain just goes into overdrive to negativity yeah. because that's what we're teaching. Our brain is being taught yes. the negativity. You, you will feed, you will feed off of and encourage growth in whatever area you keep nourishing. Right. And if you are nourishing your anxiety, so if you're, if you're an anxious style, and if you've dated someone like this, this is going to sound familiar. Excuse me. The anxious person is going to, if you are getting off work at three o'clock and you normally make it home by three 45 at three 45 and a half, they have started calling you. Yeah. And you could be in a bathroom. You could be saving a life on a roadside accident. You could be in the store buying them flowers to surprise them. Your phone could be dead and you don't have your charger with you and you can't charge it in the car. All these things could be happening and you are oblivious to the fact that the anxious person is home creating what I call Spielberg scenarios. Right, Spielberging. Yeah, they're Spielberg. And I have everybody knows Spielberg. And I'm that's don't, don't steal that because I'm going to have to write on that too. Spielberging is what I call the fantasy part of our brains that can create a fantasy bigger than the director Steven Spielberg could ever dream up in his wildest imagination. Right. And so you are now a few minutes late getting home. And before you get in the driveway, because the, ang the ang anxious style person has created all these reasons that you're late that cause them to feel bad about themselves. You have had three affairs. You probably have some <laughs> addiction that you satisfied on the way home. You don't really want to come home to be with them. And that's why you're late. Um, this is going to be the end of everything. And I don't know, maybe they decided because they made soup the day before that you didn't like, and that's what caused it. That's what triggered it. So the anxious person can be really preoccupied with sensing something, but taking it to heights that you cannot imagine. If it's the avoidant person and they feel that there's too much closeness happening, you want this intimacy so you left work at three o'clock and called and said, baby, I'm coming home. I'm coming straight home. You better be. <laughs> They're like, ah, <laughs> I just want to have sex. She wants to come home and have a conversation and be romantic and candlelights and a movie. And ah. 
And so that that thing that you did that they used to like, or one conversation that you had and they didn't like that they heard something in it seven months, two years, five years ago wouldn't have bothered them. If they have gotten to the point where their avoidance, that feeling of feeling trapped, um, that feeling that you want more from them emotionally than they are able to give, they will start creating reasons to not like you so much. They will start fantasizing about their ex. And this is interesting because this is all in this book. Um, they have a tendency to fantasize about another relationship or previous relationship because what they're trying to do is disconnect from the one that they're in right now. And they will use any means necessary to make that disconnect. They will avoid you. They will create, you know, you might see little temper flare ups. I call them adult temper tantrums. Um, you might see those things flare up. And again, what I loved about this book is that it, stuff was so clear that I was like, ah, I, this is what was happening. And then what that did for me, who's typically in the secure category for a while, it made me go, well, what can I do? You know, what do I need to do to help this? And the therapist was like, don't do anything. <laughs> this right now is not about you. It's like, but it's impacting me. Okay. You got a value decision to make. Is this how you want to live? So if you are, if you are, and then disorganized, it's just sort of like, my gosh, it's like somebody on a psychedelic trip. Like you are with someone who, and like I said, I am not a, a medical practitioner. I have a doctorate in education, not psychology or physiology or, or any of these things. So if this stuff is sounding really familiar and it's causing real problems in your home or for you, I highly recommend you get a therapist. I cannot recommend therapy enough. I had a woman years ago tell me th therapy is the gift you give yourself. And she was 100% right. She said, whenever I relocate, once I get settled in my home, the first thing I look for is a good therapist. You need that objective person that you can talk to and confide in that can challenge you with questions you might not ask yourself. And that's different than coaching, which is what I do. Um, therapy may want to go back in your past and see where all these things are connected. As a coach, I'm here to get you where you are now and help you move yourself into the future that you see for yourself. So they can work together. You don't have to have one or the other. You may need both. And a good coach can often tell if you really need to be talking to a therapist. Because it's like, I can't help you because you're stuck on five years old when your mom did X, Y, Z. We can't even talk about you wanting to grow your business now because you can't get over what happened at five. That's therapy stuff. Um, but that disorganized person is the one that might have you feeling off balance all the time. And they don't seem to be concerned about that. You just don't know what's coming. Like I said, I think Biagio clapped on that one. You walk in your house one day and they're speaking and it's bubbles and sunshine. And we say here, cotton candy and rainbows and unicorns. And then the next day you come in and you're like, oh my God, Lucifer. You don't even know, like, where did the person go that I was, I was living with yesterday? And that may be somebody who's dealing with this fearful avoidant. Like they're so afraid they don't have it to give to you, right? The, the secure, the secure attachment style has the ability, obviously you get two secure people together. It's heaven, not perfect. Maybe I shouldn't say heaven. It's heavenly. How about that? Cause somebody's going to know well, heaven is perfect. How do you know? Let's say heavenly two secure people can have a heavenly, not perfect relationship. And it's not wonderful because they never have an argument. It's wonderful because when they have a disagreement, they can sit and hear each other, right? They can let each other have whatever passion they have in their conversation and know that that's not about them. And then 
calm them, you know, have that calm conversation afterwards or that resolving conversation or agree that we're never going to agree on this. I hate that TV show. You love watching it. You need to tape it so you can watch it. And that's not going to be our TV night show because I hate it. And you find these solutions. And when you're with someone like that, you will quickly find that it's a whole different feeling being with someone who's secure in how they navigate challenges with you. And it's empowering for both of you. Um, and a, a secure person with an anxious person. So mom, if, if you were the secure one and Perry came in anxious, you being secure helps that anxious person relax. They can get rid of that feeling of, okay, she's, I, it's been 12 years. I think she's staying. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. She's like, damn it. Yeah. Um, and, and how long, you know, how long does it take for somebody to get there? But, but that is, that's one of the combinations that they talk about in the book where somebody with a secure attachment style with someone who's anxious, the most challenging is the avoidant. And now I would say the disorganized. And I'm just going to go, the avoidant is so difficult because they first have to get clued in that they had trauma that has sent them to this place where wanting intimacy and get this, all of them, everyone, according to them, we all want that kind of intimacy. We want that kind of intimacy, but for the anxious person, when a problem happens, it triggers that anxiety. For an avoidant person, that intimacy triggers this, oh no, but this isn't going to last, so I'm not even going to take a risk on it because what if this doesn't last? I'm going to get my feelings hurt. Ah! And so, <laughs> and so they are in a constant state at some point of a retreat. And it, you may not notice it right away, but you'll start picking up the cues that they just don't want to be here. So I'm going to open the floor up and see if anybody else has any thoughts or comments before we wrap up today. I want to thank everybody for, for being here and hopefully, you know, share this in the replay. Let other people know they can come back here probably tomorrow and catch the replay. But I want to look here and see. I see Charlotte is here also. Hi, Charlotte. Um, and let me see Kath or Biagio. Does anyone have any thoughts, comments, questions? that you want to add before I, I wrap up today. Oh, it's the circle in the lower left of the screen. If you tap that, you can request, or if you tap your, uh, the little circle above your name, that's another way that you can request to be on, uh, on stage, I believe. And I don't see anybody here. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, uh, I, I like to end the show with, uh, what, what's been empowering. And I have just been reading just ferociously. Before um, you, before you, yes. before you go, I know at, at some point you're going to talk about, you know, meeting people, mm -hmm. but um, kind of in the same vein as the type of person, um, the gentleman that I'm dating now, mm -hmm. one of our early, early, I don't know, conflict issue concern for me uh -huh. is the, our first trip to Mexico. Uh-huh. And I got lost. He had never been to Mexico. He had never been to this Mexican dentist, blah, blah, blah. So his nerves were already on edge. And he got silent. Mm -hmm. And he was silent until we got there. And he was silent for the two hours, two and a half hours that we got home. So you know when you're with someone like that, you know something's wrong. Yeah. And um, I just turned on some music and, and let it ride. And I'm saying to myself, okay, is this how he handles, you mm. know, um, conflict? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we just met, you know, so 
Um, and then later that evening, because he was spending the night, I, you know, he we came back here, turned on the television, and he took my hand, and he said, "I want to apologize for the way I acted today." Mm. He said, um, "I know you were doing all this for me. You didn't have to take me to Mexico or anything like that." Um, but I got scared, and I just want to apologize for being an asshole. So I just, you know, part of my brain said, "Okay, this this might work. This right. might work." Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he he did my trick. Just took my hand and looked me straight in the eyes. You know, my mom is a hand holder. If she reaches for your hand, you're about to be wooed into something. So I think you know. Sometimes you know, when you're dating people, when you have that first conflict, that's a good. Yeah, indicator. Of yeah, it, it really is. And as you're saying that, I can think of one of my early ones where I shared something and was really vulnerable, um, and, and and still telling them, okay, what you're asking me doesn't make sense to me. I don't. I think it's inappropriate. Excuse me. And I shared. You know, they knew some of my history. And instead of them saying, okay, I get it. It was an insult. I got an insult. It was like, oh, these are your insecurities. This has nothing to do with me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And that's when I know I jump into secure brain because it's like, whoa, okay, you know what? Then go do what you're going to do because I'm going to be fine yeah. here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're talking about dating. This this book uh, actually shares, the writers actually share one of the benefits of using this book and one of the ways you can use this book as a tool for yourself is when you get into your next relationship or as you're looking at this uh, next potential relationship, instead of thinking, oh, what can I do to please him? How can I make him feel good? I want to do the bit. And that's not bad. Trying to please your partner and do nice things for them. You know, don't, I tell people, I don't want to turn into the, oh, men are dogs. And I'm just going to be the shrew. Because mm. I don't really like cats enough to live with them forever. Um, but he says, flip it around and say, is this person, person enhancing my life? Mm-hmm. How do I feel when I'm around this person? What's the energy that that I'm picking up? And it may take you a while because, look, we can have a whole nother show on narcissism because they're very good at hiding all of that. And they're like they metamorphose. They're they're like they're going to be who they think you want them to be. So it could take you a while. And my mom actually years ago said, you know, one of the reasons you don't see some of those things in people is because that's not what you're looking for. Right. And it's not how I, I choose to show up. So yeah, so this uh, the good point about those new relationships, and we are going to do one. My mom has a request; she wants to do a show on picking partners, picking partners. So that will be back in the divorce is not a destination too, because if you pick right, yeah, it won't be on it won't be on your your journey. Life is hey, Biagio. <laughs> Biagio pick pick good. He's got a good one. Um, so again, the book is attached by Levine and um, Heller. And the website is attachmentproject.com. Go there and do your attachment. What has been empowering for me um, or what I find to be empowering is just, um, oh, now I have somebody else who wants to speak. You just wait till the end of the show. Hey there, Nadine. Yeah, I wanted to speak because I wanted you to have to think about it. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what I'm thinking about, but go. My attachment style came up anxious and preoccupied, so we can close on that one. Uh, ah! Okay. Oh, she just made me my buzz right out my ears. Okay, so did, I, I'm not going to ask you if you feel like it's accurate. Well, I will ask you. Do you feel like it's accurate? Did you see hearing me talking yeah. about the anxious attachment style? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it is. I How had to did think you find about the questions? it for a while. They were. I had to really visualize the person that I'm talking about as I was answering the question. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so, I, I think it is. I think yeah, it so came. This is I don't know the. Go ahead. What's interesting, because, okay, so Nadine and Jacqueline are sisters, everyone. This is my mother and my aunt. They're sisters. And so you can see that the attachment style, even if you're raised by the same parents in the same home, doesn't mean you're going to end up with the same attachment style. You may have foundationally some of the same things, but even two people growing up in the same home have two different experiences in those houses, in those homes. And I'm, this shows just, we're going to go on for a few, just a couple more minutes. Bear with us, folks. It's a 90 minute or, oh, we're not even at 90 minutes. We're at one hour and 10 or something. Um, I use this story in my diversity work when we're talking about diversity and people expect that other people should be thinking and perceiving the same way they do. I tell them me and my sister, Tammy, grew up in the same house with the same parents and around the same family members. And we were talking one day about making a bed and she had two little girls at the time. And one of them, she was saying, you need to make your bed. And her daughter did not want to make her bed. And I remember walking by my sister's room and I said something like, um, well, you know, if you guys made your bed, it would be an example. And my sister was like, oh, she's going to do it because I'm telling her, not because I'm setting an example. Mm. And, I was like, oh. and that's that like an option too. That's another <laughs> option. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. But I, later I said to her, I said, it's really weird. I said, we had to make our bed every day. And my sister was like, uh-uh. And I said, yeah, we did. Well, I'm almost three years older. So I made the bed. Remember, I started this telling you I know how to make a bed without getting my feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. She was little, so she didn't have to make our bed. We slept together. So it wasn't like we had two separate beds. So she would get up and go on her merry way. And I, the older sister, would make my bed. It wasn't punishment. It was just, I'm older. So her whole perception of that experience was completely different from mine even though we grew up in the same house with the same two people raising us. And so we can't assume that everybody that grew up with us um, has the same experience and therefore would have the same attachment style. And then there are other life variables that get factored in as we get older. So your relationships that worked or didn't work, your friendships, all of these things combined with that foundation from your family to create that attachment style. And like I said, they can change a little bit. So I'm just glad that, you know, you saw it and you can see where that anxious uh, came from and it, and it, and it's a fit, you know, because once you know it, it helps you, um, it helps you Don't slow things down hopefully. And you can kind of look and decide, um, okay, am I taking this a little too far? Am I getting a little too, a little too excited with this? And maybe I need to calm it down because this is my anxious style rearing its ugly head or rearing its head. I'm not going to say that it's ugly. Um, and I'm hearing, Nadine, I'm going to ask you to mute just so we can, there we go. I just muted her. Um, and so it may be that your your anxious style is starting to, to puff up and it's causing you to take the story someplace where the story didn't even need to go because that's not where it is, right? So thank you for getting on, Nadine, and sharing that because I am quite sure that if there isn't somebody in the audience right now, that there will be someone in the audience on one of the replays who is going to be like, is anybody anxious? Was I the only one? Because I didn't hear anybody talking about having that style. So folks, whatever it is, you can take it more than once. You can take it on other websites, look for other places where you can take it and see if you cross-reference and you keep coming up with the same thing. But if you get uh, whatever whatever one you get, whatever style shows up after your, your survey or your quiz, sit with it a minute and ask yourself some questions about what would that, what did that look like for me? Can I, can I think of a situation I was in where some of these things were true for me? 
because it may not be every single one of them, but it's enough that you ended up with that particular style showing up on your quiz. So for me, empowerment is about just wanting to challenge myself to be okay with being uncomfortable sometimes, stepping outside of, uh, of, of uh, uh, the box and making the box bigger so I can be in this bigger, bigger space and knowing that I'm probably safe. Like I'm not being chased by lions, tigers, or bears. And that I am equipped with everything that I need to get through whatever the situation is that's in front of me. And that for me is really empowering. Hi, it's Dr. Lisa. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. If you're getting value from what you're hearing today, if you've had moments where you thought I should write this down or that is really interesting, I didn't know that, then I want to invite you to stay connected to me. You can do it by going to my website and my website is liveempoweredinstitute.com. That's liveempoweredinstitute.com. And when you get there, hit the subscribe button so that you'll have access to any events, courses, articles, or promotions that might be going on. You can also get my other social media outlet links there. That's for Facebook, where I'm at Live Empowered Institute, or my Instagram, where I'm at Dr. Lisa Summer Hour, and my YouTube channel. But if you missed all of that, just go to the website, Live Empowered Institute, www.liveempoweredinstitute.com and you'll be able to stay connected with me there. Thanks. And it's a day-to-day -day thing. It's not all day, every day. This morning I got off of a call and I said to my mom, I'm so exhausted. I want to take a shower and cry. <laughs> no, you said you didn't know whether you need a drink, a joint, I mean, or... Right. <laughs> Which is funny because I don't drink... I don't drink a lot and I know I've only tried to smoke a joint one time in my entire life. And I was like, I don't understand what the infatuation is with this. Um, so that didn't, that didn't take either, but it, you know, you're going to have moments. Don't think that because, you know, we do the work that those of us who do the work and help other people do their own work that we never deal with this stuff. It's a constant everyday thing um, that, that you, you're just like, you know what? I'm good today. This was a great day. So that that's empowerment for me. And I'm going to do my three what went well. So what went well today? Um, let me see. I haven't taken my third COVID test yet. My mom has COVID. So we're blessed that here's what, well, my, yeah, I don't, I didn't have COVID. I'm going to take a test later tonight, but as of right now from yesterday's thing, no COVID. Um, the last couple of days, what's a blessing. My mom does have COVID and this is what went well. What went well is that we live in a home big enough for her to have her own like area to be sick in and she can leave stuff outside in the hallway for me to come pick up with my mask and my gloves and go take everything back to the kitchen and take her her meal. So that's been a blessing. And that for me is a huge what went well, because so far we're managing this um, with me, hopefully not having it. Uh, hopefully I didn't get it like today uh, somehow. Um, and then what's going well over my life. I, I turned 60 this year. And I really, I, I joke with people that I'm having a wonderful life. I really am having a wonderful life. And part of it is because I did grow up in an environment where I always felt loved. Um, it was not perfect. Um, it wasn't that we didn't have problems, but I always had this feeling that I had enough people and the right people around me for me to take risk with my life. And I, and I just think being able to take those calculated risks except skydiving. My mom refused to come with me to go skydiving. So I haven't done it yet because she said she's not going to come and watch. But other than that, 
Um, other than that, I, you know, traveling the world and taking risk and those things, those will be, those are my life what went wells. So I want you to think about this today as I close. Take a few minutes after this show and think about your what went wells. What went well for you? Um, oh, not doing that. What went well for you today? Uh, over the past week. And if you look back over your life, think of something that is going really, really well. And if it involves some other people or another person, I want you to take the time to let them know and share that with them because it may be the one thing that motivates them to go and have a fabulous day tomorrow. All right. So it's Dr. Lisa. This is Live Empowered. Thank you, um, everybody, for being here this evening. And Nadine and mom, thank you for participating. There's my mom. She's on camera. She can wave. Thank you for listening to this series, Divorce is Not a Destination. You can connect with me on Facebook at Dr. Lisa Summer Hour, Live Empowered Institute. If you enjoyed this episode, recommend Divorce is Not a Destination to friends and family. Be sure to join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at fireside.com backslash Lisa Summer Hour. That's L-I-S-A-S-U-M-M-E-R-O-U-R. Catch replays on Fireside and my YouTube channel. Until next time, remember that life is the journey and divorce is not a destination. Live on Fireside.